name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 551. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about something called the spiritual bypass. We are indeed. Uh, but first, we have... Uh, we're doing four Zen talks this month. Two of them are going to be normal Zen talks where we're listening and supporting and listeners are asking us questions live. It's like a live podcast. But two of the pod, two of the Zen talks are going to be different. And how are they going to be different? So basically, we are reading uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And the two Zen talks this month are dedicated specifically to that conversation. Um, you know, Todd and I said, two, two Zen talks is not going to be enough to get through this entire book, which is true. But we're going to get started and begin the conversation. And actually, last week when we had our more typical Zen talk, we ended up talking about race mm-hmm. just as much. Much. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be an ongoing discussion, I think, in Team Zen, um, you know, as we talk about the book, but also our own parenting when it comes to talking about race. So the next, so if you join Team Zen now and you want to talk about White Fragility, the book, then this month will be free for you. Yeah. Because we want to get as many people as possible to put in the coupon code FRIEND and it'll give you a free month. And we start discussing it this Wednesday, which is June... 10th. 10th. And it's at noon. And you don't have to be live. You no. can listen after the fact. Correct. We record everything. You can either listen to it on your phone or you can watch the video uh, with a link that we provide to you. And if, you know, we made this decision to do this about a week and a half ago. So if you haven't been able to read the whole book, that's okay. Come mm-hmm. anyway, because I think the discussion will be meaningful. I do highly recommend you read the book because it's very informative. Um, and I think it'll help you gain a greater self-awareness around your own internalized racism, um, which, you know, we all grew up with. Like, this is not something... It's not a blame game. Yeah, it's not a blame game. It's not... And it's not really a debate anymore. I'm hoping by this time that we've been through this last week and a half um, around um, this discussion around race that we now embrace a lot of what we grew up with and the things that we never questioned and the ideas that were just... um, uh, not not equal, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of it, we just accepted face value and we didn't investigate it. And now is a time for investigation. So hope you join us. Go to zenparentingradio.com and you can uh, check out what it means to be on Team Zen. We hope you decide to join us. So um, So on on that note, that's why I wanted to talk about spiritual bypassing today, because it's really in regards to race. Mm -hmm. It I want, Todd and I have wanted to talk about spiritual bypassing for a long time. So it's not only about race, but I want to talk about it in regards to race because I've seen it come up so much in the last week. Mm. Um, And I've watched people using what's called spiritual bypassing to kind of sidestep um, dealing with their own issues around race. Yes. Um, And so do you know what spiritual bypassing is, Todd? I'm going to read a definition that I just read in Psychology Today, and it may or may not coincide with your definition. Is it it John Wellwood's definition? Okay. Yeah. It's a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished 
developmental tasks. Correct. And I have almost an identical definition here because John Wellwood coined the term in 1984. Um, basically, it's using spiritual practices to avoid dealing with what we find painful. Mm-hmm. And what not only have do not only have I seen this in people in my community and um, clients of mine, there was a time I did it too. This is, I know it's a, um, I don't want to say, it, it, it sounds disparaging to say, oh, it's so transparent. I don't mean, to, but it's, it can be so obvious, mm-hmm. especially if you had found yourself in that position before, which I have. Right. Um, I, and basically, what does that look like? Well, about, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when I started really digging into spiritual work. Um, you start to feel super special. Yep. Okay. You start to feel like, wow, I have this information that other people don't have. And you read books and you think you understand everybody so much better and you think you're so highly evolved. And what it does is you think that then you have this ability to say things like, oh, I just live on a different plane of understanding, or my spiritual awareness doesn't allow me to to hate or have feelings like that, or I see beyond those things. And this is the, this is the thing I've been seeing for the last week and a half. I believe in oneness, therefore... Race isn't an issue mm, to me. Yes, that's a big one. That's a big so one. So let's dig into that statement. Okay. So, can I? I want to. I want to give a story before I dig into sure. that statement. When I first start, and this, and this will connect. I'm not trying to sidetrack too much. When I first started yoga, a uh, long, long time ago, the a lot of the teachers that I worked with initially talked a lot about the separation between mind and body, which was that yoga was really about transcending the body and finding a place of spiritual awareness beyond the mm-hmm. body. Later. I started working with teachers, thank goodness, who started talking about, it's not about transcending the body, it's about inhabiting the body in a healthy and whole way. So you're not trying to move beyond your body, you are trying to, you know, be in your body in a way that allows for mind, body, spirit, and everything that comes with it. Sometimes it's illness, sometimes it's negative feelings, sometimes it's challenges, that's part of being human. Transcending it puts us in a spiritual plane that as human beings, I'm not saying that we can't uh, sometimes feel it and touch it and understand it, but that's not where we live. We aren't like yogis, you know, some teachers are way back when are like, we want to be a constant spiritual, but that's not what a human being is. A human being has their feet on the ground, Mm. planted in the earth or hopefully grounded in the earth and then they can reach for that spiritual awareness without forgetting their humanness yeah you kind of beat me to the punch because i always say i like keeping my head in the clouds which means something to aspire towards or whatever but i got to keep my feet planted in the ground and it's a balance because if all i'm doing is my feet are planted in the ground and i don't think of anything bigger than me or beyond me or anything like esoteric then i want some of that in my life yet there's moments where I'm like, you know, just to give an example, last week you were venting to me about something that had nothing to do with me. Whether I was venting about the, how challenging these this time this is. time is, yeah. And it was uh, it was after dinner, and it, and this is my example of how I did my own spiritual bypass. Well, and can I do sure. my part? Sure, sure. Because I was talking about how 
people know what's right and wrong. Yeah. I was going into a big like when people are 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 either making this choice to not look at their own racism and and understand what they were raised with, or if people are making a choice to be overtly mm-hmm. racist, or if people are making a choice to be politically aligned with somebody who is overtly racist, they know somewhere inside that that is not okay. Right. And Todd said, "Well, and it, I think I'm going in the same place you're going." It was a long conversation, and and like sometimes I'll just say it: you get frustrated at our president, right? Yes. <laughs> so do I. And you like ask questions like, "Well, why does he do this?" And like, "Why does he hurt people?" Why does he hurt people? And um, or why are these people? Aligning. You know, help me understand, Todd. And I don't really have any answers. I ask you the unanswerable yeah. questions. And yes. and at last week at dinner, I was trying my best, and then like it just it. It went too long for my own ability. And I said something to the effect of, because you're- I my, was venting. My judgment was you're worrying about something. You're venting and you're worried about, you know, what does this mean? Where are we going to be at a, a week from now in regards to what's happening on the television? And I said, all I know is Eckhart Tolle taught me that worry pretends to be necessary. <laughs> so let me say that again. All I know is that Eckhart Tolle taught me that worry pretends to be necessary. So basically what how you how you received that was I basically just shut you down. Yes. And you, I did not want to deal with my own discomfort. Correct. In this situation. Yes. I ran out of gas. I kept trying to like kind of answer these unanswerable questions. <laughs> Wasn't doing an especially good job. And I even said I think maybe not long after a half hour later I'm like I'm sorry. Yeah. I, oh yeah. I screwed that up and I wasn't listening. And I should have just said, I'm out of gas. But instead I said, Eckhart Tolle says, worry pretends to be necessary. Well, our conversation didn't even, when you say you shut me down, you didn't. I actually said, Todd, why are you teaching me something that I already know? Why are you trying to, I get frustrated at Todd when he coaches me. Um, Not because Todd always, and when I say that, I don't mean that Todd does not have the ability to Put a mirror it's a to different me. relationship. It is, and he can confront me with things that I'm doing that he feels are offensive. Or it's not that he can't do that, but because I can just tell what he's doing sometimes when he's using like uh, therapeutic techniques yeah. on me, and I'm his wife, and this is what I do for a living, and so I'm kind of like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, it's not what I want right now. And all I and all I really I agree. I externally process a lot, meaning that it does take some patience sometimes to hear everything I'm, I'm going to say. Um, and I, I own that part Mm -hmm. that I talk a lot. Um, and I appreciate you listening. The part though, that sometimes when Todd gets uncomfortable with what I'm saying, he thinks he either needs to solve it Mm -hmm. or he thinks he needs as this smart thing to say, which goes into that, or that spiritual thing to say, Mm -hmm. which then is almost like, what I'm feeling is wrong. And what I'm feeling is not wrong. What I'm feeling is the pain and the difficulty and the discomfort of the moment. And when you're in the midst of that and someone encourage you, encourages you to just transcend it. Yes. That's, that's not, essentially what I was saying to you. Exactly. And and this is what I want to say to, to everyone as somebody who I, you know, my, my training, my education is in psychology and social work, and I am a therapist. I also love 
the spiritual aspects of um, my own personal understanding of what I've studied myself. And um, and I use that, as you guys know, listening to this show within my own teaching and my own learning. And I like the connection and the collaboration of the two. But when one is used against the other, then we are meaning when somebody is going through their emotional you know, release and somebody uses spirituality to shut it down. This is not, this is not okay in that spiritual bypassing. Again, I'm going to connect these words is trying to keep those feelings and that negativity at bay by pretending it doesn't exist. And it does just like in yoga, when we're trying to say, I want to transcend the body and pretend it doesn't exist. It does. It's there. You live in your body. You're not trying to get rid of your body. You're trying to find a way to live in it. So how does that relate to emotions and race? Again, bringing it all back. We in this country have discomfort with talking about race. We have discomfort looking at our own issues and how we were raised when it comes to race. We have discomfort with what we've done or haven't done when it comes to race. And we want to spiritual bypass it and say, I just believe in oneness. I'm living and working on a different plane. Therefore, I'm not part of this. And how would that statement end up impacting people negatively? Because it sounds good. Oneness. How come can't we just all be one? Because then you are not seeing people and what they're experiencing. To say to a woman of color, to say to somebody who is black, I only believe in oneness. I don't see. I mean, it comes back to these cliche. I don't see your color. Then you don't see me. Then you don't see how I have, how my life looks and feels and what I have to experience. You don't recognize my challenges, also my beauty and my strengths, if you don't see my color and where I came from. And if you don't understand the history of this this country and what that means to be a black person, this, this part of, um, you know, what we've been talking about when it comes to to race, you know, just over the last week and a half, is about being open to our own issues and also becoming more educated about history and becoming a listener instead of a teacher and listening to people of color and hearing their stories and their experiences. And instead of telling them why they shouldn't feel that way or that it doesn't really work that way or that we didn't experience that way, we don't, we shut up Mm -hmm. and we listen and we take it in and we deal with the discomfort of what that means. Yeah. Just restating the definition, tendency to use spiritual ideas to avoid unresolved emotional issues. Right. So, and I'm going to read from, um, you know, it's, it's fun because I, I decided to, while I was reading white fragility, it really brought up a lot of spiritual bypassing issues as I was reading the book. And so I went and got the book spiritual bypassing by, uh, Robert Augustus masters. It was written in 2010. It's called spiritual bypassing when, when spirituality disconnects us from what really matters. And it really connects well to be reading white fragility and this together mm-hmm. because they're very connected. So from the book, I'm reading this directly from spiritual bypassing. Part of the reason that we spiritually bypass 
is that we tend to not have very much tolerance, either personally or collectively, for facing, entering, and working through our pain, strongly preferring pain-numbing solutions, regardless of how much suffering such, and I'm putting this in air quotes, remedies may catalyze. Because this preference is has so deeply and thoroughly infiltrated our culture that it has become normalized. Spiritual bypassing fits almost seamlessly into our collective habit of turning away from what's painful. And even, you know, like aspects of spiritual bypassing, like what does this mean? Exaggerated detachment. Oh, I don't really care that much. It doesn't bother me. Um, emotional numbing, repression, overemphasis on the positive, mm-hmm. um, anger phobia, blind or overly tolerant compassion, where we say, well, they, you know, that's just what they do. They didn't know better. So what's interesting about this is that you said something in there about numbing. And yes. whenever I think of numbing, I think of shopping or beer or booze or weed. Like those are numbing agents to something that's uncomfortable, right? Correct. And what's interesting is that spiritual bypassing, you're doing the same thing. You're just using this kind of lofty, esoteric, I use Eckhart Tolle's words to numb my own discomfort in a conversation with my wife. Well, and here's the thing. So instead of having a beer, I just quote somebody. And the reason why I wanted to own up to the fact that I... I know this feeling because I started doing this really early in my life. Like I always talk about on the show, oh, I read all these self-help books when I was a late, you know, teenager and in my 20s. And I did read them, but I used them for spiritual bypassing. I used them to say, everything is okay. I don't need to look at this. It's all perfect. Anything that happened is fine. And it allowed me to have a feeling of some kind of, even though I I don't think I practiced it overtly, but inside I was like, I have a specialness. I think that there is a very natural human thing to spiritual bypass. And here's, here's my evidence. My evidence is, even to this day, whenever I read a really good book, a self-help book, uh-huh. I think about who else needs to read it. And it's, we've talked about that. We have. But, yeah. And that's normal. So like, I'm not trying to shame the idea of spiritual bypassing. We're trying to like bring this to our own attention that when, when I read a Eckhart Tolle book or a Michael Singer book and I think, oh, my friend Joe would really needs this really bad. Like that is, forget about Joe. How can I right. own whatever it is, this is whatever's coming up inside of me and do my own work. Correct. But doing my own work is hard. I know. Well, and here's the thing. This is also, I'm kind of paraphrasing from the book, but true spirituality is not supposed to be a high. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have a high, but that's not like the full intention. It's not, it's fine to, to enjoy those moments. There's nothing wrong with that. But, well, I'm just going to read exactly what he said because I don't want to have to paraphrase this. Our times call for something far more real, grounded, and responsible, something radically alive and naturally integral, something that shakes us to our very core until we stop treating spiritual deepening as something to dabble in. Authentic spirituality is not a buzz of knowingness. Um, it's, it's not, you're not on an exalted plane of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a vast fire of liberation, an exquisitely fitting crucible and sanctuary, providing both heat and light for the healing and awakening we need. All right. What does all that mean? Basically what this means is I remember when I first started doing really deep body work and I remember the teacher I was working with at the time said, 
doing this work is not for the faint of heart. And I kept thinking, oh, but this is so enjoyable when you have an aha. But what she means is if you are really going into your sense of being and your deepest spirituality, you have to look at your shadow. You have to look at the things you've never looked at. You have to deal with your trauma. You have to feel maybe a guilt or a shame you have never felt or that you have repressed and pushed away. Real spiritual work is difficult and it's ongoing. It never ends. You don't end up at a plane above other people where you're like, now I'm just simply better. You know, some of our greatest leaders around this, like even like the Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. like he talks about, he, he's actually quoted in this book a few times, like he still does this hard work on an everyday basis yeah. of working through his own struggle, his own pain, his own trauma. It's not something he did and he's done and then now he leads people. Yeah. This is an on, like it, the the work of somebody you know, it's almost like I wish we had different words because as soon as we say spirit or spiritual, people sometimes check out. Mm-hmm. Like they still connect that to religion sure. or they still connect that to a place of like, oh, I don't do that. That's not for me. But really all it means is knowing yourself on the deepest level, your whole self, your sh- your shadow parts, your um, your the the joy of your life, the the talents in your life, your gifts, and realizing that that makes a whole person. Yeah, that there's not things you have to like. Of course, if you've done something wrong, you know you need to apologize and make up for that, or you need to. You know, if you have challenges or, you know, dealing with addiction, of course there's things that you want to deal with or overcome or get help for. It's not that we just stay stagnant in that place of, you know, here's my shadow. We're always, it's the paradox of we're always working on something, but we're perfect already. So it's he, this paradox. So here's my problem. Okay. So there's that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It's because it's all small stuff. Right. Richard Carlson, does that sound right? Yes, Richard Carlson, I yes. I never even read it, but I have a, I have a, a, I have an idea. I know what it says in there. It's like, just chill out. Life is short. Well, it's not a narrative book. It's like, here's number one. Okay. Yeah. But I use that phrase as my spiritual bypass. Okay. So like, whatever. You get, I have a bad day at work. Uh-huh. And um, I'm... I start become emotional and then I stop myself. Right. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to sweat it. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. And I feel like when I catch myself and, I, and I'm and i like, you know what? It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am missing something. Yeah. And maybe it's emotion. Like I'm not allowing myself to get sad or mad or angry. And, but, but, but it's a, it, it's a good life philosophy. Don't sweat the small stuff. So like I'm stuck between, I feel like I'm missing out on the human experience. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, it's a pretty good life philosophy is don't sweat the small stuff. But you somehow think it's one or the other and it's both. Like this is a good quote. Most of the time when we're spiritual bypassing, we like the light, but not the heat. Yes. You're not willing to feel the heat. Yes. Why did something bother you? Mm-hmm. Why were you offended? Mm-hmm. Did is I skip, that I skip over it? I de- uh, yeah, because and then what you're possibly skipping over is a boundary that's been crossed, an issue that you haven't looked at. And again, I, I'm not. This gets really messy because this is why it's a practice. Because not every single thing that makes us mad necessitates a therapy session. Yeah, but we can begin to become more aware of what brings up feeling in us 
And maybe instead of saying it shouldn't bring up feeling in us, we accept that we're having a feeling. So what you're doing is you're saying a feeling comes up in me, Mm -hmm. and instead of working through the heat of it, meaning feeling it and saying, wow, that really pissed me off, or wow, that really embarrassed me, or wow, that really made me sad, we shut it down and we say, let's not sweat the small stuff. And it's like closing the door. And it's a lot of what... You know, again, I I want to bring it back to the topic of of our country right now. It's a lot of what we do where we'll say, um, yes, I see that, but I don't do that, or I don't really think it's that bad, mm. or and instead of just listening to people's pain and integrating it into our way of understanding a bigger picture about how certain people experience the world. Yeah. We we then jump over it and say, but it, you know, things are perfect. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't perfect, it wouldn't be this way. Yeah, and I think it's that integration you're talking about. We talked about this when we did our podcast last Sunday, right after um, the looting down on Michigan Avenue, we saw yes. and everything. And what I have tried to do is own my own prejudice. Yes. And like that, I feel like is my example. I'm kind of like, you know, um, taking shots at myself and how I do this. This is my example of how I don't do it. Like I've really tried to like swim in the discomfort, like how have I shown up in this world? When have I been biased against somebody because they're, they look different than me. Right. So there's, um, so the invitation for myself, you know, you say it's a practice. It's a practice, of course. You until you die, you're still you're practicing. I want to keep swimming in the deep end in this muddle and, and figure out how am I a part of this problem? Correct. Because it's so easy for me to be like, I don't, I don't do anything bad that I see on TV. But that's but that's overt right. versus internalized, and that's the work. Yeah. Like, how can how can they be there be subtle things right. of uh, how I show up in this world and reinforce that other people that look different than me are less than? Well, and it, there's subtle, and then there's also just what we don't show up for. Mm-hmm. Why are we not? Why why did it take till now right. for us to start going to these protests? Right. Why when we've been watching this our whole lives. And it's because, I mean, well, I don't have a final answer to be honest with you. That's what we're kind of working through right now. But part of it is because our culture, you know, what we grew up in, I don't want to say normalized it. It just didn't, I don't have an answer. Let me just say that because I, I, that even that the experience I'm having right now is important because we this is the work we have to do. Why did it take this long? And this is the discomfort we have to sit with rather than give a spiritual answer or rather than me summing up, summing it up with some kind of intellectual, you know, sentence of like, here's the academic reason. Like, mm-hmm. it just is uncomfortable. It puts a pit in your stomach. Well, one example of that discomfort in regards to race. So I had a men's group last Wednesday and one man stood up and said, we're not here because George Floyd died on TV. We're here because of the looting. And I didn't know exactly what he meant. The only thing that got our attention was not the tragic murder of this man, this black man. It was these other images that we saw five days later. Mm-hmm. Like that's truly the truth, what the wake got, up call. you know, Colin Kaepernick kneeled peacefully, but that wasn't enough. So there's all these different 
ways that we um, circumvent the process. Right. And and kind of like, and I was just listening to another podcast here, and they talked about like how the Civil Rights Act changed the laws. Yeah. But nothing. But no internal thing changed and inside th- of us. That's exactly what why I was saying like when you're watching TV or you're you know watching a movie or whatever, and you're like, well, I would never do that. I would never be that overtly racist. But there's what we do, and then what goes on inside yeah. of us. That's the like majority of people I know are not overtly racist. Right. It's what they're. Th- what they were raised with, the, what their beliefs are, what they're willing to speak up for and what they're not speaking up for, what they are willing to say, this isn't okay anymore and and why or why not. And this is, again, you know, I will say over and over again, it is a work in process, but you have to be willing to begin by starting, you know, it's it's like... For the last couple of weeks, you're seeing so many things. You're, you're seeing amazing things, you know, corporations standing up and finally, you know, saying, you know, Black Lives Matter or, you know, Goodell mm-hmm. saying, oh, oh, yeah. We screwed that up. We screwed that up with My Colin bad. Kaepernick. And you're seeing those things that are fantastic, like some a little bit of systemic change, yeah. um, some questioning of police tactics, all that kind of thing. But then now that's not it. It's not just these outside things. It's going to come from individuals who are awakening to, wow, where have I been? What have I not noticed? And if we're not going, we could change all the outside stuff right. until we're blue in the face. Right. And we're, you know, this is an off topic, but but until we can change our insides mm-hmm. and our own relationship with the, t- for at least for today, the topic of racism, we have to do our own work. Forget about protesting and and civil rights and all that unless we're doing our own How about work not forget about not forget alongside alongside mm-hmm. but if we're just doing the outside stuff and we're forgetting about the inside stuff i have a feeling we're going to be back right where we started so another quote i want to give you because from victor frankel what gives light must endure burning so that means being with the fire's heat doesn't just mean sitting with the difficult stuff in a meditation, but also going into it, trekking to its core and facing and entering and getting intimate with what is there, however scary, traumatic, sad, or raw. Mm. Like what is, the, and, and for those of you who have been listening to this show for 10 years, this is no different than any of the work we've been doing. It is different in that we're talking about race. Right. But it's not different in the universal principle of self-awareness. Right. That when we're talking about why do you feel challenged in this area? Why are you unable to speak up? Why do you have difficulty talking with your partner? Why do you have difficulty talking about sex? Why do you have difficulty relating to your child's experience? That's all things going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. And for some people who are like, oh, this is so exhausting, it's... Um, I brought this up on uh, Team Zen the other day because I found it to be such a great, um, it was such a simple way to say this. Brene Brown had the Duplass brothers on her podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, Mark and Jay Duplass, actors, directors, producers, brothers, and they were talking about how the truth is so hard, but it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. And what they meant by that statement, that paradoxical statement, is that it is hard to tell the truth about what's going on inside of you. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. It can be uncertain about what's going to happen later. But that truth at the beginning makes life so much simpler. 
Do you know what I mean? Well, and the way I interpret that is short-term, long-term. Absolutely. The truth in, in the now is really, really hard. Yes. But if, but if you circumvent the truth and you just pretend, yes, your life is going to, your, either your internal life or the outside part of your life is going to be in turmoil eventually. But we as human beings sometimes don't want to make those short-term investments into our long-term well-being. Exactly. And because we're, we'd rather avoid pain. the discomfort and the pain. And here's the thing, compassion for that. Compassion... Um, for myself when I do that, because I do that, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It can be so many different issues where I'm like, I don't really want to deal with this. And so I'm not, not going to do it. it today. And, you know, maybe sometimes we need to give ourselves a day. Sure. Like maybe someday, you know. But if that's all, it's a balance. If that's is. all you're doing. And this kind of started, I think last Sunday, I, I own my piece. Like I sometimes stick my head in the sand and I don't watch the images on television and I stepped into my discomfort and I forced myself to watch some of these horrific images. And for me, I knew it was time for me to stop doing that. Well, because you had to, because that's privilege. Yeah. And you already said this, sure. but we're going to say this for those of you who didn't hear it last week. By definition, privilege is that we aren't, we don't have to look at these things because they don't affect our lives, but they're affecting the lives of people around us and people that we love and, and people that we engage with and, and people our community. Were, yeah. And people that we are connected to, yes. not directly, but indirectly. Like we're all in this together. And if well, we ignore other parts of the, you know. Well, I was going to say yeah. directly and indirectly. Yeah. Like people that you know, family members that you have, neighbors that you have, but also people we've never met who are in pain. Other side of the world, we're all kind of. Inter and see, now here's the irony. We are all one. There is oneness <laughs> And see, so we're coming back around the circle on the other side, is saying oneness is not untrue. It's about why we're saying it and when we're saying it. Again, this is very related to everything we talk about on this show. Everything is paradoxical. If you are in a paradoxical situation, I would say you're probably in the most typical situation welcome of to, life. Welcome to life. Exactly. Being like, you know, the phrase we always use, and this is what we're talking about here with spirituality, spiritual bypassing, you have to root in your humanity to rise in your spirituality. But if you just try to rise in your spirituality with no rooted sense of your humanity, you're floating above the earth. You're disconnected from reality. And and this is, and there is no, you know, I can hear people saying, well, what do I do? How do I do this? These are like everyday choices. And there's not a, I, I, I don't like spirituality that has some kind of hierarchy mm -hmm. where you're like, you're rising to a better plane. You can have better experiences that maybe make your lag time shorter, or maybe they make you more aware, or they deepen your empathy or your sense of social justice. It's not a progression. It's not. You can go from so far below the line to so far above the line, and I don't know how much that makes sense to a lot of people out there, but it's not like it's a stepping stone. One minute, I'm gonna be angered and agitated and triggered, and then the next minute, I can see myself in it and I get it. And then the next minute I'll be triggered again. And it just, it's just, it's the dance. Well, let's talk about this because we're in the middle of pride month. Yeah. Okay. And um, so this is- Can you is... hold on to pride month real Absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, I want to talk about my partner, uh, care.com or our partner, care.com. Uh -huh. 
Okay, so as the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care, care.com helps millions of families find high quality care for their children, aging loved ones, homes, and pets. So it's a platform for finding all kinds of family care services, child care, senior care, house care, pet care. Too much on your plate? Need an extra hand so you can get back to work? Care.com can help find reliable sitters and nannies to help make work life a little easier. So here's our special offer. To save 30% off a Care.com premium membership, visit Care.com slash Zen or use promo code Z-E-N. All right. Pride Month. So I was going to say that we're in the middle of Pride Month, right? And there may be many of you listening who have, over the last however many years, become more of an ally to the LGBTQ community. Um, Maybe you've, like, you know had family members that have come out or you yourself have fallen in love with someone of the same sex or you've realized your own queer identity or whatever it may be. And you now have an allyship with the LGBTQ community and you're like, wow, look at how far I have come from maybe where I was in college or in my twenties or just this realization. And then you, you know, you feel awakened and enlivened and you feel more spiritually aware of how you look at sexuality and gender. Um, and then race Mm. comes along. And you're not done. Yeah. Now you have to figure out what is your allyship when it comes to race. And race is not, um, you know, it, it's not, what's the word that I always use? Monolithic. You know, it's in the, the black community, there's not one type of black person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's many different people in the black community. In the Latinx community, there's not is one this type. intersectionality of, stuff? It, it is. You know, it's interesting. We should have somebody on to speak specifically to intersectionality. I should not, again, we should not be the teachers of that. We can talk about the definitions, but I think about it more as the personal experience of intersectionality, like how if you are a, like a, say a black queer um, woman, Mm -hmm. how all of those, you know, how all of those issues intersect and change how you experience the world and how people treat you. That I think is close to the definition. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm a little off on that, but we're not the teachers of that. Um, we'll, we'll need to get more information or bring somebody on to talk about that. Um, but my point is, is that what we can do though, is we can look at our allyship when it comes to the LGBTQ community and the, and the path we took to awaken and maybe reutilize that. Like, remember what we needed to do, learn, listen, look for teachers, become more aware. And then we started to develop a better understanding and an opening to hearing another perspective. And that's what's going on with race right now. Mm. Rather than us defending our position and saying, oh no, I don't do that, or I'm not that, or I'm not them, or this doesn't bother me, or this doesn't affect me. Of course it affects you. You ready for me to spiritually bypass you right now? Let's do it. Byron Katie had a quote and she said, the first act of war is defense. Mm -hmm. And I never really, I still don't quite get that because you think the first act of war is offense. Like somebody's attacking somebody and she's saying the first act of war is to defense. So you're just talking about getting defensive. Well, so the first, so the, the minute you feel like you're getting defensive in anything, whether we're talking about race or gay rights or whatever, like that's, and maybe it's an internal war. Like, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's just like an interesting thing. It's like a self-awareness piece. The minute that you feel like you're getting defensive about something, there's something that needs to be looked at. So I, I see that two ways when you say that. The first visual I get is the first act of war is when someone confronts mm-hmm. and the other person defends, that's where it begins. Yeah. So it's almost like 
people can, can be confronting you all day long, but if you're not on defense, there is no war to be had. Right. So it, it necessitates both. And then it's also mm-hmm. internal because if you have sadness come up and you allow it, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if you have sadness come up, and then your defenses come up, you go to war in yourself. And you start to fight against a very normal emotion, which is sadness. And by the way, shame is a normal emotion. You know, as Brene Brown always says in her research, the only people who don't have shame are people who are, you know, sociopaths. So when you have shame, there's nothing to be ashamed of that you have shame. You want to have shame. Yeah, (laughs) welcome to the human experience. Exactly. And guilt is there as a protection too. Mm -hmm. Because if you have guilt, which is, again, to differentiate, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. If you have guilt that you did something wrong, you can apologize, listen, and learn. You get the opportunity to start again if, if, you know, if the other person um, can hear that as well. Um, And then shame, when it comes up, cannot survive your willingness to talk about it. Shame can't survive if you speak it because shame can only survive in the dark. It can only survive if there's no light Mm -hmm. at all. So both of them can be things that we work through if we're willing to acknowledge it's there. Right. And that's, you know, now we're kind of taking a dive into shame. But yeah, you're right. Like, But the weird thing about shame is like just the creation of shame is it begs not to be talked about. Like the whole nature of I that know. of the feeling of shame is please don't let anybody else know about this. I'm sure as heck not going to bring it up to anybody else. I don't even want to bring it up. I don't even want to own it. I know. So anyways. I know. And that is, um, this is why communication and discussion around mental wellness and emotional regulation and emotional intelligence is not a, of course it's a choice. I was going to say it's foundational. Like you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. And the ability, like going back to 101, the ability to allow your children to talk about emotions and recognize that when they talk about difficult emotions and you feel uncomfortable, that's yours. Okay. Mm. That's like 101. You know, your child is sad and they're telling you they're sad and you start, telling them that there is a form of spiritual bypassing. No, you're really not sad. Look at the sky. Look at the clouds. Look how you're trying to jump over their feeling by telling them why they shouldn't feel that. And even that there's a layer to spiritual bypassing. An example you just said is because we are bypassing our own emotion. We think it's about our kid who's crying, but really it's like, I'm uncomfortable because somebody I love is mad or sad or afraid or angry. So step one is what's going on inside of me when my daughter is crying. Correct. But we forget about ourselves and instead we instantly leap to try to fix whatever it is that's making them cry. And, but not really what, what we're trying to use like some, some wood and some nails. We're trying to put a bandaid on a huge open wound. Exactly. When really the open wound is the opportunity to talk about the open wound. Yeah. You know, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to cry when you got hurt. It's normal to get angry when you get embarrassed. Talking about it, saying it out loud, accepting it. When they're kids, they may need to talk about it a lot. And then eventually they just become, they come to the understanding that, oh, I'm sad, I'm crying. Yeah, that's what happens. And there's an acceptance of it. And they may still, that all human beings, no matter how old you are, need to talk about things. But some of the more, like, 
you know, smaller issues we deal with internally. We have like a an, a strength where we're like, I understand this. Well, what's weird about this is a 48-year-old man, I'm always like, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. I'm no good at that. I was an expert at this when I was three years old. Of course. So we all, <laughs> and now we're start, starting to talk about emotional expression, but we were all experts at this when we right. showed up. Right. And then society just beat the crap out of us and taught us that, that it's not okay. But we, if we knew how to do it back then, we sure as hell know how to do it right now. Yeah. But I, from my brain, wants to want to figure out, give me some tools of how to do that when the tools are already inside of me. What you're actually saying is, how do I do that without hurting? Mm-hmm. How do I do that without being vulnerable? Yeah. How do I do that without feeling? Right. And that's impossible. The question is, like when people say to me, you know, well, I want to know how I can say that to him without hurting his feelings. I can't promise you it won't or yeah. will. I don't know what will happen. But what I can do is support you in you know, in being honest about the way you feel. And, you know, we have, um, well, I don't want to jump to that yet. I was going to jump to something else, but I want to read something else from this book because I want to give you as much as I can um, as far as definitions from, you know, about spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is largely occupied, at least in its new age forms, by the idea of wholeness and and the innate unity of being oneness. Um, Perhaps its favorite bumper sticker is we are one. But it actually generates and reinforces fragmentation by separating out and rejecting what is painful and unhealed, all the far from flattering aspects of us being human, by consistently keeping these in the dark or down below. And then they tend to end up, he, he talks about how then they get repressed and they end up needing to find another way out. It comes you know, out sideways. It comes out sideways. And so it really is our ability, like, and let's bring it back to race and what's going on in this moment is, first of all, I hope over the last week, all of you have either found new teachers, changed your news feed up and started following people of color. Um, Maybe you've gone to a protest or two. Um, Maybe you have joined a book club or um, hope maybe you're doing teams and, you know, white fragility with us. Um, Maybe you've just started considering and, you know, that there's other ways to manage situations when it comes to the police. Mm. Maybe you've started looking at your own political viewpoints. Like, what is it that I want? What do I really think is helpful to um, not even just helpful, just You know, we're talking about social justice here for all people. Like, hopefully, in the last week and a half, there's already been a huge expansion in you. I mean, Todd and I were talking the other night, and we're like, God, like, um, last Monday seems like a long time ago. ago. Like, the things that he and I just, that he and I have talked about or experienced. Swimming in our own discomfort. Swimming in our own discomfort and also having really, like, um, what is today? So... On this weekend, Todd and I uh, went to a protest in Chicago, um, in Ch- uh, Chatham, and what is the 79th and Cottage 79th Grove. 79th and Cottage Grove. Jamal Cole, who uh, runs My Block, My Hood, My City, he, um, it was not only a peace walk, but it was also a food delivery yeah. situation, like to make, because what happened in the neighborhood of Chatham is it, it already didn't have a lot of grocery stores, but then when the looting happened and everything, there were people who didn't have anywhere to get food except if they went 20 miles. So he wanted to make sure people in his community were being fed and had what they needed. And he also asked everybody from all over Chicago to come and walk in this peaceful protest. And the five of us went and it was amazing and inspirational. And what I was saying to the girls and I were talking about it on the way home, and it was intense. 
and it was honest and truthful, but it was all love. Meaning we even had moments where things would like the speakers would be would get it would get intense and people were saying yes. And then he and then they would say, love, love, mm. love. You know, it would like bring us back to why we were it's here. Like breathing, like it in, was in, inhale, exhale, like expansion, contraction, like all kind of and it was weird. I didn't even pick up on that until you just explained that, but well, that's what it felt like. It felt to me, it, community organizers, like someone like Jamal and his group, My Block, My Hood, My City, they know how to community organize. They're yeah. experts. They know how to tell the truth in that moment and get people to feel what's mm -hmm. happening and then, you know, channel that anger, frustration discomfort, whatever it may be, into something meaningful. Yeah. What was his, what was the card that he handed out? The 15, 15 words? 15 words. And what were the 15 words? I don't know. What but, but, can you do? What's I, something I can do? I'll find it because it's worth, so go ahead and I'll find it. I think it. it's something to the effect of what's something that I can do today that's going to make a positive impact on my community? Yes. Something close to that. Yeah. I, it, and basically his point is, is that, Channel that, you know, what can I do to make a positive impact on my community? Because his message is so like, uh, these problems seem so big when we look at them Correct. on the TV. And Jamal's really good at saying, start where you are. Exactly. What's something that you can do right now to impact your community in a positive way? Whether or not you live in a white suburb or... Um, 79th and Cottage Grove, like everybody can do something. Absolutely. And it's just, if we think of the big problems, it's going to paralyze us and say, there's not, nothing I'm going to do is make a difference. Mm -hmm. So Jamal is really good at that. I know. Well, and that's what, you know, community organizers know how to organize people. Yeah. They know how to get people invested and to help them care and become educated. Um, I have a lot of respect for community organizers. Um, as a social worker myself. Um, but I, I, I feel like this time, this is not, this, this is an opening. This is a beginning. This isn't like, okay. And by the way, there's more pre protests, you know, happening tonight and tomorrow and they're not over, nor should they be. This is the beginning. It's, this is the wake up call or this is the, um, where's everybody been call. And now what is the change going to be? Yeah. And we, of course, we're going to watch the news and see what happens at a macro level, but what's the change on the micro level? What's the change in you? What has, have you, like one of the things that I realized myself as a parent that I dropped the ball on because I've been reading all sorts of articles about how to make sure you talk to your kids about race and how to, um, you know, make it a regular conversation in your home. And one of the things that we didn't do, Todd, we didn't have enough books or movies that had different people of color as mm -hmm. protagonists. Sure. We had the the very like, you know, mainstream pop culture-y yeah. things, you know, you know, Tiana and Moana and mm -hmm. you know, the, the things that were maybe Disney created, but we didn't go searching. Yeah. You know, I, I know the girls had some, but a lot of it, you know, a lot of books that dealt with race, but I didn't feel like the girls and I really started talking about it till they were like 13, 14. And there was all this early stages of their life that I feel like I missed, mm. that if I could have that time back, right. I would have done that differently. Yeah. Um, because even, and again, I can sit here and say, but I didn't do anything overtly. It's always been about love, but that's not enough. There's like an educational component. Being neutral isn't enough. Correct. 
it's not about it's it's about what you know and so i've become something i've been kind of more interested in this week is figuring out different kinds of media my girls have far surpassed me in regards to the people they follow you know the the influencers they're following you know youtube like they've surpassed me when it comes to um talking about race you know they're the ones who have really awakened us i think um so i i'm grateful for that and i listen to them this is and then this goes to the parent child thing too your children i know this gets really cliche but they're your teachers They're out there in the school, in the world, watching things that we never watched as kids because they're exposed to every aspect of the internet you can think of. And that's brought a whole different meaning to me because I would always say, oh, our kids are our teachers because they're better. You know, I always use the example of my daughter walking to school and she would look at the ants and she'd look at the trees and the leaves and like she was teaching me presents. But now as your kids get older... They truly are my teachers. Absolutely, Like they know more about a lot of things than I do. And uh, it wasn't like that when they were five, but now that they're 15, they we have a lot to learn. And they have that, those teenagers have that energy, that passionate yes. energy, that inspired energy. Like after the, the protest or the peace walk on Sunday, JC's like, mom, we got to go to D.C., <laughs> You know, where's the next? I'm going to go to Milwaukee and see my friend. Mm -hmm. I'm going to. She just wants to keep the momentum going. And this is. Got to ride it. Exactly. And and we also right now with what's going on with the protests continuing and with more education and with more articles and with more, um, you know, attention being paid, especially by businesses to this issue that we, you know, how much more can we do? And and I mean that in a good way. Like how how can we can continue this? I like ride the wave. That's a good way to say. Oh, there's, <laughs> you know, look at a puppy dog who's you know a year old versus a dog that's like 15 years old. You know, like we have we have two dogs next to us. We, our bo- our neighbors from either side have a dog. I'm like I'm not sure where you're going with Daisy. This Daisy's like 15. Years okay, old. yeah. Old dog just kind of loafing around. Okay, okay. And then Kona. This is got this young youthful energy. energy. Like our daughters are this young energy. Got it. And, you know, we're like the old dog, just kind of, lo- you know, I still feel like I have some energy left in me, but, and I could be a hundred and have as much energy. But generally speaking, we need to like jump on their coattails Correct. of energy because it can be infectious. Exactly. And the only way that happens is if we, you know, uh, soul to soul versus roll to roll, right? Absolutely. And, and realizing that just because wisdom, and and this is the paradox too, we are as adults wise and that we've been here a long time. We've had a lot of experiences. We have a lot of things to share and we do hope that our children learn from what we have to offer. Our children are also wise because they have the energy and a viewpoint that we don't have. And they're out in the world experiencing more people than maybe we are because we, you know, we do our regular jobs. We're living our homes and they're out there having a different experience. And so can we see each other as wise rather than it's a hierarchy of a top down? And that becomes exciting and exhilarating because our kids are still looking to us. Mm -hmm. You know, my girls with all of the 
um, you know, the knowledge that they're taking in, Todd and I serve as kind of their stabilizing place. Sure. Like can it's like when they're little and they start to walk and they want to walk and they want to get away from you and walk to something else, but they turn around to keep making sure you're there. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're my stabilizing force. I need to know you're there right. so I can continue to walk into the world. And I realize, I know that that's our job as parents as they get older is that we say, yes, go walk, but I am here. So if you need to turn around or if you're going to fall or whatever it may be, I will help you. Yeah. Um, but that you're, we're also learning from them as they do it. Like yeah. what kind of walks are we not taking? Yeah. You know, what? how are we venturing out or not venturing out? So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but sure. I think you'll be able so to you do know this. we're 55 in. Right. Um, have there been any new either books or uh, Facebook pages or people that you have talked to this week that have been inspirational to you? Because I know you and I have, our work has been to shake up our newsfeed and have different teachers. Like, is is there anybody that you... Nothing that I can um, give our listeners. It's more on a personal level. I've okay. made some friends that I wouldn't have made had it not been for the news in the last few weeks. Okay. And I've reached out to people that... I've reached out... You know, it's funny, like, you know, it's so easy for me to say in this white, mostly white suburb that I live, well, I, I, I would have more friends more men who uh, men of color who are friends of mine, but they're just, there's not that many around here. And that's such a cop out. And, but I need to have intention in bringing these men into my life. Mm -hmm. And just in the last few weeks, I have had some intention and some success in being in closer proximity to men of color. And my spiritual bypass in the past has always been, well, I don't, they're not around and I don't work in that type of culture because I work out of my house and blah, blah, blah. It was just a cop out. That was my spiritual bypass. If you want something, go get it. And I've just used that. So I have, I have teachers, but it's more certain men of color who I have, um, tried my best to interact with and then listen to. Yes. So those are, those are my new teachers. Um, well, over the course of the last week or two, we've been sharing some pages, but I just want to share a few more that I found this week. One is called uh, Be the Bridge, uh, Be a Bridge Builder, uh, Latasha Morrison. Uh, she actually wrote a book called Be the Bridge, but the Facebook page is really wonderful too. And she actually has a whole uh, program that you can go through, like a page you can join if you actually do some work ahead of time, mm. that you can join it and have um, really great discussions. Um uh, we've talked a lot about Austin Channing Brown, but I heard her um, her interview on the Good Life Project, um, and I, I shared it with our... I'll put it in the show notes. Thank you. I shared it with Team Zen because I, I was telling Team Zen that Austin was at... I went to see Glennon and Abby, um, Glennon Doyle and uh, Abby Wambeck at Omega last year, and Austin was there and spoke with them. Um, and she was so, uh, what I was saying is like, it kind of reminded me of, you know, our experience at the, at the, the peaceful walk. It was such an intense conversation. Some of it was uncomfortable. She held us accountable for sure. She said things that made me go, whoa. And she also, there was this exuberance in her and this joy, and she laughed so much and kept it so Light. In gate, it wasn't light. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Is like that word doesn't work. It was. It was big, mm. but it was full of joy. Um, and her book, by the way, is "I'm Still Here: Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness." Um, but her interview 
on the Good Life Project felt just like that. Mm. And I felt like, oh, this is such a good mm. um, example yeah. of what it's like to see her in person. Obviously, seeing her in person is, was probably more powerful, but it was this like this saying the difficult things with a a, a joyful spirit. Like, yeah. listen, this is the truth, but also having some humor about you know life and. Um, I don't know. I just found her interview in her book very engaging. So I would like to close the show okay. by just uh, some to bring it back to where we started, yes, which please. is spiritual the emotional, bypassing. the spiritual bypass. So here are some signs, and I just pulled this from the Psychology Today article, but there are about nine bullet points. So this is just kind of um, some some things that can help your mind get your arms around whether or not you do this, okay. and if so, how or when. Some signs of spiritual bypassing: not focusing on the here and now, living in a spiritual realm much of the m- realm much of the time. You know what I mean by I, that? Absolutely. Number two: overemphasizing the positive and avoiding the negative. Correct. We talked about that. Well, and let me stop sure, on that sure. one. I there have been in you know previous times lots of teachers like that in my newsfeed. People who are like. You're supposed to feel good all the time. You know, you know, this may have happened, but here's how you rise above it. And, you know, joy is your birthright. And here's the thing. Joy is your birthright, but you don't have to feel happy. Right. Every, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's necessary for our humanity to have every feeling. There aren't negative and positive feelings. There are feelings that we have. And so that overriding of, you know, feel happy every single day of your life, every single moment... At, that's not that's not the healthiest way to have a foundation. Um, it's reminding me of the whole field of positive psychology and how does the field of positive psychology... That's different though. Positive psychology is focusing on what works in people's lives. Yeah. Psychology has inherently been about looking at people's challenges and limitations and saying we need to fix something that's wrong with them. Right. Positive psychology is focusing on what's already working and pulling from that. It, it's not negating challenges. It's right. not negating negativity or um, it's not negating pain. It's saying when you have pain, mm-hmm. here's a way that you can look at things differently. And this is the thing, everybody, you know, for some people listening to this, they may say, Kathy and Todd, but you say, notice the good. And you say, it's not one or the other. It's, and this is why you guys, just the word Zen, it's all about yin and yang. It's all about paradox. It's all about both. It's about black and white, dark and light, shadow and light. It's not about it, it's about ex, it, having that experience of all those things that we can, we are one, but we also have an individual experience that we can look at things through a positive lens and we can also understand what depression is trying to tell us. Mm. There, it isn't one or the other. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to close yet. Oh, please don't. But I'm going to close the show um, just on this bullet point. <laughs> Which is wait? Don't wait. You said there were nine. I'm not closing yet. I'm okay. I'm teasing. Why are you teasing closing? Because I want to not forget. Okay. And uh, I'm going to play that part of Alec Baldwin and Friends, <laughs> Parker, because he is somebody who overemphasizes the positive and avoids the negative. Yeah, he kind of had a rough week. So I'm not quite sure. I want to. He he didn't make some great choices this week. I know, but we're not talking about Alec Baldwin. We're talking about this character in a TV okay. show. So anyway, stay tuned for that. Okay. Because it's I'm I'm gonna laugh. Okay. I've seen it a million times and it still makes me laugh. Massapequa. Number, <laughs> number three, B 
being self-righteous about the concept of enlightenment. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, and again, being self-righteous, meaning that you actually think you've achieved some kind of enlightenment and that you hold that over other people. You can have enlightened moments, but again, enlightenment is... Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. We continue on with our lives even when we start to awaken and see things differently. Once we awaken and see things differently, we actually can continue on the same way but have a different experience internally where we have greater empathy, compassion. So when people start to – I'm sorry. I'm going down another path of – right. Of, but it's you okay. understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just give me a few sentences okay. on each one of these. All right. This one I'm really, really good at. Okay. Being overly detached. Yes. Ugh. Like that, when I read that, I'm like, God, that's totally me. Well, and being overly detached, again, I'm, 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 I keep throwing this word on you, but it's a privileged thing because if you can detach from something completely and say, well, that doesn't affect me, well... It, but it's affecting a lot. It, it, you know, parents sometimes do this. Like my children, you know, they hate me, but they're teenagers and that's what they do and I'm done with it. Versus, wait, this is not great. Yeah. Like it, it's not a great thing that our kids are chronically mad at us. Yeah. Like I understand that kids do get angry with their parents. Of course, we all have and our kids have been mad at us, but we play, we're half of that relationship. So our detachment from it or thinking there's nothing we could do or that if only our kids would change, then we'd be better. Like we're half of that relationship. Right. We have to keep showing what up. What we're doing is we're not taking our portion of the responsibility for this relationship. And we do that with race. Yes. We say, yes. we look and point a finger and we say they, yep. if they would do this, if they would do that, if they would not loot, mm-hmm. um, if they would, you know, like, what do I always hear from people who talk about arrests and somebody gets hurt or killed? Well, if they would have just listened to the police officers, yeah. if they, and that it's, it's an ignorant statement because that, especially in a situation like George Floyd, yeah. what was the time? Eight minutes? 46 seconds. Eight minutes, 46 seconds of a knee on your neck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Um, this one I don't really feel like is me being overly idealistic. Well, I think, I don't, I think we have moments of that, like just believing that everything is fine and everything's working out exactly the way it should. And, and here's the thing. I do believe that when things happen, that it's happening that way because it's happening that way. Mm. And I can deal with it from that point. Meaning I don't sit there and suffering is when we believe things should be different. Yeah. But when we feel when we get to that place where something is not the way we want it to be, instead of just stopping and saying, well, I'm just going to accept it, we can accept the moment, but also decide to create change. Yeah. You you actually were giving, you gave a great definition to somebody the other night about the difference between, I can't remember if you were talking to one of the girls, but you were talking about that, like accepting that we can accept the fact something about us but that we don't stop there. Well, I think it's, you need to surrender to what That's is. That's what it was. You were talking about surrender. Surrender from where, so, because for me, the term surrender used to mean, oh, I give up. <laughs> surrender is actually a position of strength. Right. As I understand it. 
I'm going to surrender to what's happening right now. And then once I surrender from that place, I can take action. Well, a lot of times what happens is we don't even bother surrendering. And then we fight a war on drugs or we fight a war on this and we fight a war on that. And we take these actions without surrendering to the actual situation, whether it be about racism or parenting or the war on drugs or whatever. It's like we got to surrender to what's happening in this now moment. And then from that place, from this place of clarity, from this place of presence, from this place of openness, can we then take action? But we skip over that most of the time. I skip over that most of the time. And instead, I just take the action without without acknowledging, without accepting myself in the situation. Exactly. Because the surrender is instead of fighting against or rep- or or pulling away from or pretending, you're saying this is actually happening. Yeah. So then how can I recognize, like, for example, like in a marriage, let's, let's just put it on something very family, mm-hmm. you know, specific. You're in a marriage and you know you're not getting along. You know you're not talking about what you should. You know you're both avoiding things. You know that you, maybe you haven't had sex in a long time. Mm-hmm. You know that you're not in agreement. You know that you're not spending enough time together. But you're not surrendering to it. You're just either repressing it or running away from it. Yeah. Surrender is this is what's happening. Yeah. And I'm owning it so then I can change it. And what does change mean? Having a conversation about it, suggesting therapy, um, you know, doing your own therapy, maybe starting with journal writing, whatever. It doesn't matter what, it, well, there's so many ins, but not surrendering means you're either avoiding it or pretending it's not there. Yeah. I'm, right now, what I'm thinking of is, um, you know, what I learned from Michael Singer is presence, which is allowing the present moment to be as it is. And what I do as a human being is I either cling to something that's good. And that sounds like a good thing, but or how it's you not, think it should be or how I think it should mm-hmm. be or how it used to be this way. And I want to cling to that old memory mm-hmm. instead of missing what's going on as, or I resist to anything that might be bad. Mm-hmm. And it's that dance. It's you don't want to cling to the good and you don't want to resist the bad. It's can you just sit in this as it is right now? Like we live in a world right now, we turn on the news, there's some crazy stuff going on. Yeah. And can we just be present with what is? And most of the time I don't have the strength or the courage or the vulnerability to do such a thing. I know if I did that more often, I would be much more in a position of strength to take some action. Well, I had a, a deep aha with my therapist last week. Okay. okay. We were I was talking about the fact that when I don't feel challenged about something, meaning when there isn't something so blatant like a pandemic or right now, you know, some, you know, issues that we're having to confront in regards to race in our country and in ourselves, that a lot of times when life is just going along as it is, we, I found myself very anxious because I was like, what's going to come next? What's going to come next? And how will I deal with it? And I was assuming that if something difficult like what's going on right now happened, I either wouldn't be able to do with it, deal with it, or I'd try and figure out in my mind what I would do. It was almost like, you know, as Brene Brown talks about dress rehearsing tragedy, but it wasn't always a tragedy. It was just dress rehearsing any kind of challenge. Sure. And what I have found is that now that I'm really in the midst of a challenge, like, you know, the pandemic and and internal, you know, dismantling my own, you know, issues around race and really looking at things and looking at our country, I feel more empowered now than I did 
so let when me do these a, things weren't here. So let me do a litmus test. Okay. If I would have, so let's go back in our time machine. Okay. And it's January of 2020. Yeah. It's five months ago. And I was going to say to you, this is what you're going to be going through <laughs> on June 8th. I would have never believed you. you there's going to be a pandemic pandemic. Mm-hmm. Over 100,000 people, Americans are going to die. Mm-hmm. There's going to be looting in the streets. Mm-hmm. There's going to be murders on tape mm-hmm. from police officers mm-hmm. to black men. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be protests. There's yeah. going to be protests. How do you think you're going to deal with that? I would have been so anxious and so... I, I would have tried to figure it out in my head. Yeah. I would have tried to figure out I mean, if I can't do A, I'll do B, and then I'll do C. Or I would have had a running tape of I won't be able to handle that. Yeah. I think I think most of us would respond by saying, I can't handle that. I can't handle it. And here we are yeah, in this now it. moment, handling it. Are we handling it perfectly? Of course not. But are we handling it? Are we doing things about it? Are we perfect? Of course not. But we are handling it. So I don't know. I, human beings are just resilient and we adaptive. don't- Adaptive. And as sad as the as sad and as tragic as George Floyd's death was, I hope and pray that change comes as a result of it. And that's all I can do. And remembering, and I'm only saying this just to make the point stronger, George Floyd was- the straw. Yeah. There was many things that happened before that. It's been happening for 400 years. Not only 400 years, but even in that week, the sure. Amy Cooper yep. thing and the, you know, there was so many, Ahmed Aubrey, yeah. uh, you know, like there were so many people, Breonna Taylor, yep. like, you know, just we could in just the go, last, just in the last yeah. month. So it was just, we watched it for yeah. eight minutes or nine minutes or whatever. It, and it just, it, it broke it open. Yeah. And so that, that's the thing is, 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 and that's, that's how our lives are there. You know, what is that? Um, oh, it doesn't matter. I, I don't want to go into deep quotes again. Are there any more on that list? There are, but let's close shop. We're an hour, um, hour and 12 minutes okay, in go ahead. and we're going to, you know, this is an intense podcast and we're going to throw, sprinkle a little sugar on, on this podcast just by playing a clip from friends. Or, um, are you okay with that? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if I like sprinkle sugar. If we're just going to make a, a point. A full with, of sugar, sweetie, helps the medicine go down. Well, we're going to make a point with some comedy that may help us see ourselves more clearly. That's what I meant to say. Okay. You didn't give me a chance. I got it. <laughs> uh, before I play this part from Friends, I want to thank Jeremy Kraft because he's a bald headed beauty and he's. Uh, repainting our deck, and he's just good at what he does. So if you're interested in doing painting and remodeling, uh, creating a new office in your basement maybe, give him a call, 630-956-1800. And here is a clip from Friends. Anything else you want to say, Well, we may come back just to say goodbye. All right, tell me, give me this when you want me to stop it. My God, what a fantastically well-lit hallway. (laughs) Can I um, get you something to drink, like a water and Valium? I must say, you know, this apartment, it's, it's, there are no words. Oh, thank God. It's a haven. <laughs> the third floor paradise, a modern day Eden in the midst yeah, of the- Yeah, I know, I know, uh-huh, it gotcha, oh, yeah. Listen, let's, um, why don't we just, um, sit and relax, you know, just be with each other, quietly. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. Uh-huh. My God, this is the most comfortable couch I've ever sat in in my entire life. <laughs> Let's, let's try something else. Let's play a game. I love games. Shocking. <laughs> um, let's play the game of <laughs> who can stay quiet the longest. 
or Jenga. Let, let's play this one first. And remember, whoever talks first loses. Yeah. I lose, now Jenga. Oh my Is that good? God. Oh my we're only halfway through that scene, but it's really good. Well, and, you know, obviously this is a Friends episode and not real life, but it is the, you know, people, it's that feeling where people are telling you how to feel or why you should be happy or why you should jump over something. You know, the the message of this podcast, and as you guys know, Todd and I are, as we're in the midst of, like, processing our own things and learning, we're having these conversations here, um, but it's recognizing when you are using spiritual ideas or positive ideas to jump over something painful that really needs to be noticed. And what's going on in our country right now really needs to be noticed. We need to pay attention what's going on. We need to find teachers who educate us, not by necessarily bugging them and saying, tell me what to do. It's not that kind of thing. It's reading their books, following their pages, reading about history. We'll put... Um, uh, some more links. Of, sure. it, it might be repetitious. We'll have a resources been, link in the uh, show notes. Yeah. And again, we've, you know, commented on many of the same teachers in the last couple of podcasts, but it's our willingness to pay attention to the moment and to see the challenges or the pain that give us the inspiration to then rise, mm. to say, I see this and I see what's happening. And we make a change and we reach for light and we reach for a better way. And, but it has to start in the truth, you know, um, and knowing that this is an ongoing process. Like, you know, I thought, I mean, that's what I mean about a week ago compared to today. Like what I thought I understood. And even in five to seven days, having just even shifted my outlook this much, can you even imagine what a year from now will be like? Think how ignorant you're going to look back and say, man, I just didn't know nothing. I know. Well, I definitely have felt that way about that's... many parts of my life. And and I will, like you said, even look back on this time. Yep. That's And that's part of life. That's what evolving means. You know, evolving means that we change, shift, grow, learn. Um, that's the whole purpose. And um, And sometimes we stop that evolving by using spiritual bypassing and let's allow it to go through. Let's allow ourselves to evolve. Whew, I don't know if I can listen to this podcast when we're done. We just went all over the place. Hour and 17. That may be a record. Really? I don't know, man. Well, That's long. It's an important time. Yes. Uh, keep trucking. Uh, see you on the uh, Zen Talk, White Fragility Wednesday. Yeah, join us. All right. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email 
at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.